<laughs> well, good evening, everyone. Welcome to Closer. I'm so glad that you guys are here. You've got a full house. This is awesome. Uh, before we go any further, I just want to take a minute and honor a couple of girls that helped make tonight possible. Brianna Collins, stand, please. <laughs> Tiffany Anderson, stand, Tiffany. Where's Aubrey? Aubrey did an incredible job at leading worship, but she didn't just lead worship. These ladies made tonight possible. They organized all the volunteers, uh, all the tables and stuff, all the, the entire after party, had countless meetings with them, all on a volunteer basis. These guys are amazing. They love you. They have a huge heart to reach women in the city. So if you see them after the service, just be sure to say thanks. Amazing job. So give these guys a hand. Thank you so much. I think my hair's getting in my mic here. Am I good? There you go. All right. Well, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Sarah Blunt, and my husband and I pastor uh, New Song Church here in Oklahoma City. And if you've never been to New Song, then I just have to take advantage of this opportunity to invite you to a New Song service. We meet every Sunday at 10.30 a.m. We don't meet here. We actually meet at Haskell Elementary School, and it's on 150th between Penn and Western. And we're a new church. We had our very first service on September 13th, so we're about to celebrate our one-year anniversary, and it's been incredible so far, all that God's done, and we're just getting started. So I invite you to come check us out. I know we couldn't provide childcare tonight, but we have an awesome children's ministry uh, every Sunday for birth through fifth grade. And we really consider it ministry, that we're not just babysitting back there, but that ministry is happening on every level. We have an incredible worship team. You got to experience some of that tonight. Pastor David and Aubrey are incredible. Every week, worship's just present-driven, and we have the friendliest team. Like, I like to say that we're the friendliest church in the city because every time I meet new people at church, they always say, everyone there is just so friendly, and I hope you've experienced some of that tonight also. And we have a really awesome pastor. I'm partial, uh, but Pastor Josh is back there. He's my husband. He's my best friend. He's my supporter. He's my prop man tonight, um, and I love him. So you guys should, should definitely come check us out on Sunday. If you don't have a home church, we would love to see you. All right, before we dive into the message, I'm going to take advantage of this opportunity to show off my kids. I have three very beautiful children. The first one I want to tell you about is Gus. That's Joseph Augustus. We call him Gus, and he is seven. He's about to be eight in just a couple of weeks. He's about to go into second grade at Deer Creek, and he's just incredible. He's a mama's boy, as you can see. I can still pick him up, barely, um, but he loves the Lord with all of his heart. He wants to be a pastor slash songwriter slash author slash Oklahoma City Thunder, Thunder basketball player. So... He's got a lot of big dreams, a lot of big ambitions. There's definitely a call of God on his life. He's got the greatest head of blonde hair you've ever seen. He's trying to talk us into letting him cut it. We're having a hard time with that. Um, so, yeah, that's Gus. Next is Sunny. Isn't she cute? Look at those blue eyes. She's like a little doll. Uh, she turned two in December. She's the baby of the family for now. Um, she's always got messy hair, not here because I knew I was taking a picture for tonight, so I had, her, I had her clean it up, but she always has messy hair, and she always has a pen and a pad, not a marker, not a crayon, not a pencil. She wants a pen like mama, so we think maybe she'll be a journalist or a waitress, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> Either way, she's cute, so she'll be good. 
Um, and last but not least is Bo. And this is my, own, oh no, she's five now. She just turned five. Um, she's going to be in kindergarten this year, which is wild. Um, but she's awesome. She is, um, Gus likes to say feisty, which is a pretty good description for Bo. She just started soccer and she's really good, but we have to watch her because we've seen her throw a couple elbows out on the field. Uh, Last week when somebody scored against her, she gave them the meanest look and stuck out her little pink tongue at them like they were the worst person in the world. So she's very competitive. We're trying to harness that a little bit. She's just now starting to get um, into liking boys. Anybody ever seen The Princess Bride? You know that movie? She would like to marry Wesley from The Princess Bride. Yeah, right? (laughs) I haven't had the heart to tell her that he's like 54 years old now. Um, And this picture just kind of sums her up perfectly with her curly hair, that wild look in her eye. And right before I took this picture, she said, Mom, when I'm a teenager, I'm going to do crazy things. And I like stopped breathing for a second. And then she said, like make cats fly. So yeah, that's pretty much Bo in a nutshell. She's awesome. Um, yeah, (laughs) um, I'm sure like all of the moms in the room here tonight, I remember the night that my kids were born or the days that my kids were born. I remember their birthdays and all of the details about that day. My mom is here tonight. She gave birth to six kids, raised seven. I've got two of my sisters here tonight, my nieces, my mother-in-law, tons of family from Tulsa's here. I'm so glad they came. But, uh, she, like me, remembers the details, the day of the week they were born, what the weather was like, the time that they were born, what you wore to the hospital, what the baby wore when you took them home from the hospital. You just don't forget those things. Well, when Gus was born, it was May 20th, 2008. I was 23. This is my first child. I remember what I wore to the hospital. And no one was nice enough to tell me that when you're 41 weeks pregnant and you've gained 55 pounds, half of your weight before you got pregnant, you've gained. And... Uh, you're not allowed to wear horizontal stripes anymore. But I showed up to the hospital in my blue and white horizontal shirt looking like a whale. Um, And I remember being in the lobby, filling out the paperwork. I remember my doctor walking by. I can still see him in his scrubs, him waving at me and Josh. Um, I, I remember the nurses walking us down the hallway and to our room and saying, are you nervous? And saying, no, I'm excited. And, and then he was born and he shocked us all. He was nine pounds and two ounces. He was huge. And he came out hungry and he came out angry and he came out impatient. And those 48 hours in the hospital, I don't know if any moms can relate with the first baby, were not very relaxing. They were super, super stressful because he was hungry. I couldn't figure out how to nurse him, and he was so impatient. He, he wasn't wor- willing to work with me. And I had just taken a breastfeeding class where they had convinced me that if I were to give my child formula, that I was the Antichrist. So I'm in this conundrum of wanting to breastfeed him but not being able to, but not wanting to give him formula, and I've got a hungry nine-pound baby boy on my hands. So it was a really really stressful 48 hours. I was, of course, happy and in love with this baby, but, but a little overwhelmed. But when Bo was born three years later, it was a completely different experience in the hospital. Um, I remember what I was wearing and all that stuff. I only gained 35 pounds that time. Thank the Lord. I laid off the uh, cheese that squirts out of a can and, um, yeah, stayed away from that stuff. Um, 
But, but it was a completely different experience. I had the greatest doctor in the world. He gave me my epidural before the contraction started, so I literally never felt an ounce of pain. She came out with one push, and she was just patient and willing to, to work through the nursing thing with me, um, was able to, to nurse her like I wanted to. But the biggest differences between that day, or the biggest difference on that day, was um, when Gus was born, he came out, they laid him on me, he's all slimy and perfect, and he's squirming around, and they let me hold him for a little bit, and then they took him away, and they wrapped him up in some thick swaddling blankets, cleaned him off, and they brought him back to me. Well, when Bo was born, they laid her on me, all slimy, let me hold her and admire her perfect little self, and then they... They, they didn't take her out of the room. They kept her right next to me. They washed her off. But when they gave her back to me, they didn't bring her in a swaddling blanket. They brought her in just a little diaper. And they said, here, hold her skin to skin. And I was like, what do you mean, hold her skin to skin? I've never heard of this. They said, her skin, direct contact with your skin. And I was like, okay, this sounds kind of fun. So I get her little seven-pound body, lay her right up against my chest, and then we pull the warm hospital blankets over us, and we just lay there and cuddle forever. And skin to skin quickly became like my favorite thing in the world. Um, it was awesome and relaxing and like just made the whole hospital stay so much more enjoyable for me. Um, if you're like me, when I had Gus and you've never heard of skin to skin, you should know that it's not just the sweetest way to hold a baby, but there's all these health benefits. And that's why the nurses were so adamant about me holding her skin to skin. Check this out. It says that this is scientifically proven. It says for the baby, when they're held skin to skin, it accelerates brain development, reduces stress and crying, it regulates their body temperature, improves the quality of their sleep, enhances their immune system, stimulates digestion, synchronizes heart rate and breathing, and it encourages breastfeeding. I just think that's awesome. Isn't God cool that he would create a newborn baby to thrive when they experience special intimacy with their mothers? Well, he created our spirits the exact same way, that when we're skin to skin, close to his heart. Think about when you hold a baby, a newborn baby, and you want them skin to skin. They're right up next to your heart. And when they're there, that's when they experience that intimacy and they get to thrive. The same is true with us and God. When we're closer to his heart, we thrive. Check this out in Romans 8, 16. It says, God's spirit touches our spirits, spirit to spirit, and confirms who we really are. We know who he is, and we know who we are, father and children. In other words, when we're spirit to spirit with God, there's no boundaries or there's no, uh, there's no barriers between us and him. We know who we are, children, and we know who he is, father. So it's so important that we get to experience that intimacy. And tonight we're going to talk about how to get there, how to get to where we're spirit to spirit or skin to skin, closer to the heart of our father. If you would, bow your head and let's pray. Lord, I thank you for these ladies that are gathered here tonight. I thank you, Lord, that you've got great things in store for them, that, that you would just prepare their hearts. Lord, I ask you to prepare their hearts tonight and that this word would get planted into their heart. It would produce fruit, Lord. I ask you to speak to us, Lord. Have your way in us, Lord, like we sang we mean it, Lord. Have your way in our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. 
If you brought your Bibles, you can turn to Genesis 2.25. If you didn't bring your Bibles, it's going to be up on the screen, so don't worry. Genesis 2.25. It says, now the man and his wife were both naked. Everybody say naked. But they felt no shame. So the man and his wife, this is Adam and Eve, they were both naked, but they felt no shame. Now, the first teaching and preaching I ever did was to two and three-year-olds. In fact, the first time I ever did anything in ministry was when I was 14, I started volunteering in the nursery at our church. And I did kids' ministry up until the time we moved here to plant New Song Church. So I kind of cut my teeth in children's ministry, and I was a Sunday school kid. My mom taught Sunday school. So tonight, we are going back to my roots We're going back to the flannel graph. Anybody remember these things? These things are awesome. I think we should use these more often in kids' ministry. We need to get some of these, Courtney. Um, Oh, it's upside down. Okay. Okay, it's heavier than it looks. All right, so here we have the Garden of Eden. And here we have the man and his wife, Adam and Eve. Here's Eve. Isn't she cute? She's got highlights. She's got her little fig leaf brawn panty combo. She's so cute. Here's Adam. He's got a little jerry curl, little belly button, fig leaf briefs. Cutest couple in the world, literally. Um, so so uh, every, every flannel, flannel graph you may have ever seen of Adam and Eve, every coloring sheet uh, and any storybook, you're always going to see Adam and Eve like this, covered in fig leaves or strategically placed behind a bush or tree or something so you couldn't see their nakedness. But this is wrong. This is not scripturally accurate because we just read that the man and his wife were both naked. Now, I get why they, they put the fig leaves on because we have to keep kids' ministry G-rated. But they didn't have any clothes on. And it says that they were unashamed. Now, I want you to know that it wasn't because they had the best bodies in the world that they didn't feel any shame. The reason that they were shameless is because they were perfect. Their spirits were perfect. Their souls were arrayed in purity and their physical bodies were made holy through their spirits and that's what animated them. Theologians actually believe that the, the skin was just to cover their glory. Think about in Exodus, remember when Moses Ask God to show him his glory. He said, show me your glory. And God said, okay, I'll show it to you, but don't look at me directly in the face or you won't live. So Moses hid behind a rock, watched God walk by, but he couldn't look at him until he passed because the glory was so bright. Well, that same glory, the image of God was on Adam and Eve at this point in the garden. So the reason they felt no shame is because they were perfect. The image of God was on them. Nothing sinful, nothing defective, nothing scandalous or blameworthy. They hadn't even had a sinful thought. Now flip over to Genesis 3. You all know the story. It's a sad, sad story. The snake comes in. He tempts Adam and Eve. He misinterprets what God has said to them. And he gets them to eat of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And then look at verse seven. It says, at that moment, their eyes were opened. They suddenly felt shame at their nakedness. So they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. So as soon as sin entered the world, shame followed right after. They, they suddenly felt shame. And I want you to see something. They had always been naked, but now their spirits are being stripped. 
stripped of their internal glory, stripped of their honor and power, stripped of the image of God that was on them, stripped of their robes of purity, their innocence, their righteousness. They're being stripped. They're feeling shame for the first time, experiencing shame. And the first thing they think of to do is to cover themselves with fig leaves and to hide from God. Look at verses eight and nine. When the cool evening breezes were blowing, the man and his wife heard the Lord God walking about in the garden. So they hid from the Lord God among the trees. And the Lord called to the man, where are you? Now I want you to see that before shame entered the world, Adam and Eve had a very close, very natural, very intimate relationship with God. A skin to skin type of relationship. There were no barriers. They were spirit to spirit, open before him, nothing to hide. Just like uh, when Aubrey was talking about when her, her kids know that their dad's coming home, they hear the door open, they know it's him. This is Adam and Eve in the garden. They hear him walking through the garden and they know it's him because they've been here before where he comes to the garden to walk with them, to spend time with them. He knows he's going to be, that, that God's going to be looking for them. Because when he comes to the garden, that's what he wants to do. He wants to be with his children. That's the heart of, of our father. He wants to be with us. But their first response is to hide. And God says, where are you? And this isn't an interrogating question, but it's a heartfelt cry of a father. Where are you? Where are my kids? I want to be with you. God knew that in that moment, a great divide had taken place between himself himself. And man, a divide that he was not satisfied with, a divide that he would send his son Jesus to bridge. And tonight, we're going to talk about shame. Know that in January, when I asked the Lord, what should I preach about at this event, I presented two ideas that I had. I said, should I preach about this or this? I couldn't pick which one. I asked Josh. He was like, I don't know. Pray about it. And so I said, Lord, you want to preach on this or this? And he said, neither. I want you to preach on shame. And so I want you to know that he knew that you were coming tonight, and this is the message that he wanted you to hear. He wants you free from shame, because just as shame was a barrier between God and Adam and Eve, it's a barrier between us and God. And if we have parts of our lives that cause us to feel shame, we're going to cover those parts up with fig leaves, and it's going to distance us from our Father. We're not going to get to experience the closeness that he wants us to experience. Um, I think shame is a feeling that every woman deals with, uh, maybe at different levels, but we all deal with it. And if you're taking notes, you can write this down. Shame is a feeling of being inwardly flawed, of not measuring up. Shame is a feeling of being inwardly flawed, of not measuring up. I know we've all felt that way before. Do you have areas of your life that cause you to want to cover up? Areas of your life that cause you to feel shame. Maybe it's a failed marriage. Maybe an abortion. Maybe you feel ashamed because you know you haven't been spending enough time with the Lord. Maybe it's an affair. Maybe you had an affair. Maybe your husband had an affair. Maybe it's your past. You're forgiven and, and you've received your forgiveness, but the things that you did in your past still really bother you. Maybe you compare yourself to others. Your Instagram feed isn't as pretty as this person's Instagram, Instagram's feed. You feel like they've got it all together. And, and when you look at their photos, it makes you feel flawed. Or maybe it's something that you had no control over. Maybe you were molested. Maybe you were abandoned. 
Maybe your parents got a divorce. Maybe you were raped. I don't know what it is today, but I believe that the Lord is stirring some things in your heart and starting to open your eyes to some areas of your life that still cause you to want to hang your head. I know I showed you our three kids earlier, but we actually have four. In between our girls, we had a a son named Felix. And when I was 20 weeks pregnant, I went in for an ultrasound, and they told me that the baby's heart was no longer beating and that I would have to deliver him stillborn. And one of the first reactions, as I sat there in the doctor's office and heard this news, one of the first emotions that I felt was shame, that I didn't measure up. How did I fail with this pregnancy? I remember experiencing the same type of feelings when I was trying to get pregnant with our first. We had tried for a year and a half. It felt like a lot longer, but every time I took a pregnancy test and it said negative, those feelings of not measuring up, of being flawed, bombarded me. Well, when I finally got pregnant with Gus, those feelings left. I felt like, all right, I did it. I'm a woman. I did what women are supposed to do. I, I got pregnant. But those feelings came back that day in the doctor's office when they said, I'm sorry to tell you, but you're going to have to deliver this baby stillborn. I didn't feel like I, uh, I had only failed as a woman. I actually felt like I failed as a woman and as a Christian. I remember being embarrassed to have to tell people what happened. Most people knew we broke the news on social media so that we wouldn't have to deal with these awkward conversations of telling people what happened. But there were a few people that aren't on social media and didn't know what happened. And they'd come to me, up to me at church and say, how's the pregnancy going? And I'd have to say, we actually lost the baby and have to tell them that story. And it made me feel like I failed as a Christian. I looked at it as I was a smudge on the masterpiece of God's goodness. If God was so good, if God was so faithful, if his promises were true, then why did one of his children that loves him and lives for him, why did this happen to them? I thought that people would look at me and this story that happened to us and cause them to doubt God's goodness. And that caused me to feel shame. So, like I said, I don't know what it is for you today, but I want the Lord, I want the Holy Spirit, I ask him as I'm preparing this tonight, to to reveal those areas in your life because I want you to be able to identify them so you can get free from this shame and then so you can turn the tables and walk in the freedom that God has for you to walk in. So if you're taking notes, you can write this down. Our very first point, I've got three points for you tonight. The first one is shame is not the same as conviction. Shame is not the same as conviction. Now, maybe you're thinking, well, when I sin... When I mess up, shouldn't I feel bad? Like, shouldn't I feel ashamed when I do wrong? Well, the, sin, the, the shame that Adam and Eve felt wasn't from the Lord. It came from the enemy, just like the temptation, the sin. That all came from Satan. He brought that into the world. God never wants you to feel shame. What he does want for you to do is to see your sin, recognize your sin, repent, and then run to him. But that process is called conviction. And it's really important that we learn to uh, differentiate between these two voices. We've got to know the difference between the voice of shame and the voice of conviction. Because the voice of conviction is to be received gladly. But the voice of shame, we have to reject it boldly. So we have to cultivate the ability to differentiate between these two voices. One is because the voice of shame is from the enemy. The word says that that Satan is the accuser of the brethren. So that voice that comes against you with shame is the enemy. We've got to learn 
how to recognize it so we can reject it. The voice of conviction is the Holy Spirit. And if we reject the voice of conviction, we're rejecting God. The Holy Spirit, the Bible says that he draws us to the heart of the Father. The Holy Spirit is the one who convicts us. So we've got to learn to recognize these two different voices. If you're taking notes, you can make two columns. And on one side, you could write shame. And on the other side, you can write conviction. And we're going to just go through some of these differences. And when you start to have a thought and you're wondering, is this the Holy Spirit or is this the devil? This list will help you recognize that. Shame makes us want to run away and hide. Conviction draws us back to the Father. Shame says you are a mistake. Conviction says you've made a mistake. Shame distances you from God. Conviction makes you feel closer to God. Shame is binding and conviction brings freedom. Now, keep your finger in Genesis 3, but turn over to Luke chapter 15. And we're going to look at the story. There's a beautiful picture of conviction at work. This is the story of the prodigal son. You guys probably all know the story. There's a man, he has two sons, and one of them, the younger son, he wants his, his inheritance early. He asks for it now. He wants it right then. The father gives him his inheritance. He leaves home. The son leaves home, moves away, and he makes some really bad choices. He blows through all of his money, and um, now he's desperate. He's without money, without food, he's starving, and he, he finds a job feeding pigs on a farm. And that's where we pick up in verse 16. It says, the young man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him, but no one gave him anything. Look at this, verse 17. When he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, at home even the hired servants have food enough to spare, and here I am dying of hunger. I will go home to my father. And say, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me on as a hired servant. I love this. When he finally came to his senses, I can see the son surrounded by these pigs, hungry, hurting, broken. And he finally comes to his senses. His eyes are opened. He sees the choices he's made. He doesn't want anything to do with it anymore. But instead of saying, I'm not worthy, and I'll never show my face there again, he says, I'm not worthy, but I will go to my father. Conviction is drawing him back to his father. And look how God, or look how the father reacts, which is how God reacts with us when we go back to him. him. Verse 22 says, but his father said to the servants, quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his fingers and a sandal for his feet. And kill the calf we've been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast, for the son of mine was dead and now has returned to life. He was lost, but now he's found. So the party began. This is the heart of the father. When we mess up, but we run to him, say, I'm not worthy, but I'm going to go anyways. There's a party. He's there waiting to celebrate you. He's never there to make you pay, to make you feel bad. He's there to celebrate This is how we should treat our children when we're in situations where we're having to discipline them. Don't put shame on them. Don't say, you're a liar. You're a bad kid. You're a bad boy. You're a disappointment. You're a failure. That's putting shame on them. And shame just distances us from our children. So so discipline your children like 
the heart of a father. Discipline them in a way that it draws them back to you. Now, right before Jesus took his seat in heaven, he told the disciples about this arrangement that he was going to make. He said, I'm going to heaven, but I'm going to send a helper. He's the Holy Spirit. And part of the role of the Holy Spirit is to be our teacher. We talked about how conviction comes from the Holy Spirit. And I read this quote from Alan Wright while I was studying for this message, and I love it. It says, the Holy Spirit is the greatest, most expensive life coach in the cosmos, by my side, showing me what and how to change. We should ask the Holy Spirit to convict us. Rejecting conviction from the Holy Spirit would be like rejecting basketball advice from Michael Jordan or rejecting golf advice from Tiger Woods. It would be foolish. We've got the greatest, most expensive life coach. Most expensive because Jesus gave his life so that he could be in our life. And he's by our side and he wants to show us when we're messing up. He wants to convict us and say, hey, that's breaking your father's heart. The Father wants you close to him. He wants to show us when we're doing things that are taking us out of God's will for our lives. So re- receive that voice of conviction gladly, but reject the voice of shame boldly. And here's why you have to reject shame boldly. Number two, if you're taking notes, is because Jesus became shame for us. Jesus became shame for us. Now flip back to Genesis 3. We're going to go back to Adam and Eve. When they felt shame, they covered themselves with fig leaves. I forgot to put this little sad picture up. This was after they ate the fruit. Um, But when they felt shame, they covered themselves with fig leaves. Now, I want you to see what God's reaction to that was. Genesis 3.21. And the Lord made clothing from animal skins for Adam and his wife. I love this. God realized that they felt shameful. And he wasn't okay with that. He didn't want him to feel shameful because shame is not from him. And he knew that these fig leaves weren't going to cut it. He knew that, that he need, they, they needed something more, uh, more appropriate. He, they needed something better than fig leaves. So it says that he made clothing from animal skins for them. Now, this is the God of the universe, right? The God of the universe. He just created the world in six days. If he wanted to give Adam and Eve a complete wardrobe, a closet full of spring, summer, maternity, whatever, he could have done that. It would have been no issue for him, but he didn't. It says that he made them clothing from animal skins. Now, how many of you would agree with me that to skin an animal is to kill an animal, right? You can't skin an animal without killing it. Blood was shed in the garden. God made an animal sacrifice to cover Adam and Eve. And, and when Eve got pregnant and she got too fat for those animal skins, blood would have to be shed again. Over and over and over, a blood sacrifice would have to be made to cover Adam and Eve and their shame. Now, when we read through the Bible, know that everything, every story in the Bible whispers the name of Jesus. Every story points us back to Jesus. And this is what we see in the garden. I love this. I love God's word and how, how it all works together. He was pointing us to the fact that Jesus was going to come and he was going to clothe us, but not with something that would have to be done over and over again, not with a sacrifice that would have to be done over and over again. He was going to cover us with a once and for all sacrifice that would take our sin and that would cover our shame. Look at this in Isaiah 53, 3. This is a prophecy about when Jesus would go to the cross. It says, he was despised and rejected, a man of sorrows acquainted with deepest 
grief. We turned our backs on him and looked the other way. In other words, Jesus on the cross was so shameful that we had to advert, advert our eyes, that it was such a shameful sight we couldn't even look at it. God himself would have to turn his face as Jesus hung there on the cross. Jesus, or John 19, 23 tells us that when Jesus was crucified, that the soldiers took all his clothes. So he hung on that cross naked. Now think back to Adam and Eve in the garden. When shame entered, they realized that they were naked. They were stripped of all that eternal glory. Well, the same thing is happening to Jesus as he's on the cross and he's taking the weight of every sin and all the shame that goes along with every sin. The same thing is happening to him that happened to Adam and Eve. He had that internal glory. He had that internal glory covered by his skin, but now he's stripped physically and he's stripped spiritually. His robes of purity are gone. That image of gone, that image of God that was on him was gone. Exactly what happened to Adam and Eve was happening to Jesus. He became shame for us. Mark Twain once said, clothes make the man. He later said, naked people have little or no influence on society. Imagine how ashamed Jesus felt as he hung on the cross, completely exposed, naked, physically naked, spiritually, completely stripped. Hebrews 12, 2. This is why we have to reject shame boldly says, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, that's you, endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. He despised the shame. He hated it. He didn't like it. None of us would like to be exposed in front of the world naked and all of the sin and all the shame in our life exposed. He didn't like it. He despised it. But he went through with it so that we could reject it boldly. So don't you dare hang your head. Don't you dare let him forgive you but carry, carry that shame. He paid a great price so that you wouldn't have to walk around with shame. I feel like there's people here that, that believe that their past has disqualified them from a good future, and that's a lie from the enemy. It doesn't matter what your past looks like, you can still walk in the perfect plan that God has for you. So you've got to reject shame boldly. And check this out, Galatians 3.27, I love this. And all who have been united with Christ in baptism, that means all who are believers, all who have been born into the body of Christ. Baptism into the, baptized into the body of Christ. It says we put on Christ like putting on new clothes. So before Jesus, man was skin to skin with a dead animal. But after Jesus came and died and he endured the cross and he despised the shame, we're allowed to throw off those temporary sacrifices. We're allowed to get rid of that animal skin. And we're allowed to put on Jesus. He gave us a new robe to wear. He gave us that internal glory back. He gave you and I the ability to put on Jesus. That's amazing, guys. When, when God looks at us, he sees Jesus. He sees Jesus on us. If clothes make the man, then we are made for life. We are wearing Jesus. We're not just associated with him, but we are identified with him. If he can go boldly before the throne of God, then you can go boldly before the throne of God. 
were clothed with Jesus. So despise shame. Reject it boldly because Jesus became shame for you. And point number three is turn the tables and tell your story. Turn the tables and tell your story. God wants you to be free from shame, ladies, not only because it keeps you from experiencing special intimacy with him, not only because it keeps you certain parts of your life hidden from him. It's a barrier, but that's not the only reason why he wants you free from shame. He wants you free from shame because if you're walking around with your head down, then you can't fulfill your God-given assignment. And maybe you're here tonight and you're thinking, I don't have a God-given assignment. I'm not in ministry. I'm not a small group leader. I'm just a student. I'm just a nurse. I'm a road and fields rep. I'm a dentist. It doesn't matter. You still have a God-given assignment. And I'll show you this. It's true. It's in the Word. Ephesians 2.10 says he creates each of us. Say, each of us. Come on, you can do better than that. Each of us. By Christ Jesus to join him in the work he does, the good work he's gotten ready for us to do. Work we had better be doing. Anybody thinking about Rihanna right now with all those works in there? Someone? Afton? Yep. Okay. Uh, Yeah, so he creates each of us by Christ Jesus to join him in the work he does, the good work he has gotten ready for us to do, work we had better be doing. He set a path for you, each of us, not some of us, but each of us. And that path, ladies, includes people. It has people on it that need you to minister to them. It has people on it that need you to help them. There's people that are gonna come across your path that God has strategically placed there that need you to tell them your story. And maybe you're thinking tonight, well, I don't wanna share my story. It's hurtful. I don't wanna dig that back up. It still causes me to feel shame. I don't have a PG testimony. I'm not gonna share my story with anybody. I'm gonna keep it (laughs) hidden. We've got to share our story. I remember before we delivered stillborn, anytime I came across a pregnant lady, I was looking for any opportunity to share with her how God had answered my prayer for a baby and how I believed him for great pregnancies and perfect deliveries and a healthy baby and how he had exceeded my expectations every time. But after I had Felix and we had to deliver him stillborn, that part of my testimony I felt like was void. I remember being in a conversation with somebody and uh, she was just pregnant. This was her second pregnancy, and it was un- unexpected. And she was having a really hard time. She was depressed. She was worn out. She was exhausted. And basically, she was just, just not enjoying being pregnant. Now, the old me would have been like, let me pray for you. Let me show you what God's word says about pregnancy and, and how you can believe for a good pregnancy. But I knew she knew me, and I knew she knew that part of my story. And so I didn't say anything. I just kind of said, I'm sorry, I'll be praying for you, and changed the subject. Well, that night when I got home, the Holy Spirit began to convict me. And he began to show me that coiling back and allowing the devil to shut me up was not going to help anyone. And he led me to Revelations 12:11. It says, and they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. Now, I, at this point, 
God had already supernaturally healed my heart and was doing some amazing things. And I felt like I was, I was free from the hurts, but the, the shame was still there. And he showed me that if I would just start to share my testimony and tell people that even though it didn't go the way that I expected, I still believed God's word despite my circumstances, that now my testimony was actually more powerful because I believed God's word in spite of the circumstances. And so I began to get bolder about that. When I'd come across pregnant women that were struggling, I'd, I'd tell them my story and tell them how, how God had helped me get pregnant and have these beautiful babies. And I overcame. And not only did it help me overcome, but it helped other people overcome. Don't allow shame to silence you. Don't allow shame to silence you. Your story, the good, the bad, the ugly, your story is a divine seed from God. And if it gets planted into the right hearts with fertile soil, it has the ability to produce great fruit for the kingdom of God. Don't allow shame to silence you. I was going over this today in my bathroom and I felt the Lord say that there's mothers here here that have some things in their past that they're not proud of. And they've already made the decision they're never going to tell their daughters about the things that they did in their past because it's too shameful. But I felt like he wanted me to tell you that if you share with them how God took you, the mistakes that you made, the things that you did, how you, if you take that story and you turn it into a testimony that glorifies him, and shows them the power of his death, burial, and resurrection, that it will help them to overcome and not make those same mistakes. We can't be afraid to share our story. Turn it into a God-glorifying testimony. Write this down. Your story could be the key that unlocks someone else's prison. Don't be afraid to share don't be afraid to share it. Your testimony will help you overcome. Maybe you've gone through a divorce and there's somebody that needs to hear your story. Maybe you filed bankruptcy and it, it devastated you. You need to share your story about how God gave you a fresh start. You need to share your story. I want you to go home tonight and think about your testimony. What did God save you from? How can you turn it in to a story? Who can you share it with? And then ask him to present you with opportunities to do that. We overcome by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony. You know, I think when, when we sin, when we mess up, when bad things happen, we go to God, we ask him to forgive us, and we receive the forgiveness. But when he tries to put that robe on us, when he tries to clothe us, with, that, cloth, with that, that robe of Jesus, when we put on Jesus, when he tries to put Jesus on us so that we're adequately covered and we're free from shame, we refuse the robe. We say, we'll take the forgiveness, but I don't want this robe. I don't deserve this robe. Notice that the servant, when he went back to his father, when he went back to his father, his thinking was, I'll go back as a slave. But he didn't reject that robe when his father wanted to put it on him. 
Don't reject the robe that your father wants to put on you. Don't accept shame. Reject shame boldly. Put on Jesus. He paid a great price for you to walk free from sin and free from shame. So reject it and turn the tables on it by sharing your story. At the beginning, we talked about skin to skin and how babies thrive. We talked about how it accelerates their brain development and reduces stress and crying, regulates their body temperature, improves the quality of their sleep. When we're skin to skin with God, when we're clothed in Jesus, it allows us to be pure spirit to pure spirit. No barriers, skin to skin with our Father. And when we're there, we thrive. Check out this amazing story as we close tonight. After three years of trying for a baby, we discovered that we were going to have twins. At 26 weeks, we were told I was going into labour early. It was the most frightening thing I've ever been told. The doctor turned and said, have you chosen a name for your son? And we said, yeah, his name's Jamie. And he just sat on the edge of the bed and said, Jamie didn't make it. I just grabbed the baby from the doctor. We put his skin against my skin, and then I just held him. So we told him that he had a sister and that her name was Emily and that she was going to be okay and that he needed to look out for her. We made a lot of promises, which we're happy to keep. And then he started to move. And we thought, what's happening? And so we rang for the midwives to come back. We said, look, he's moving. He's breathing. And they said, he's dying. You need to say goodbye. We never let go of him. And then he opened his eyes and he grabbed David's finger and he held on and he laid his head back down on my chest and stared at his dad. We didn't stop touching them from the moment we got them home because we knew how valuable skin-on-skin contact was. It's what had saved his life. The twins at five in March. Our lucky little third baby, Charlie, will be four in April. This is bliss. I'm so lucky. Well done, Johnsons. (laughs) Well done. (laughs) Not only can every baby benefit from a loving touch, but every person, every spirit can benefit from a loving touch. And understand this, God is love. God is love. There's some areas of your life that you have, you may have pronounced dead. Some things in your life, some dreams, some, some, some God-given calling that, that you felt like you once had, but you've, you feel like you've messed up and you don't deserve that anymore. You've pronounced those areas dead. One touch from God can bring those areas back to life. If you would stand to your feet. Aubrey's going to come lead us in one more worship song. I'm going to invite our altar ministry team to come down front. If you're here tonight and you have areas of your life that you've covered, things that have caused you to feel shame, things that you know have been a barrier between you 
in God. You, you're forgiven. You know you're forgiven. But there's still that shame that lingers. I want to invite you to come forward when the worship starts to come down and receive prayer. To leave your shame here at the altar. To allow God to access all of you. This is a safe place to take off those fig leaves, to take off that animal skin, and to say, okay, God, I accept this robe of righteousness. Put it on me. I'm going to wear it. I'm going to put on the ring. I'm going to put on the sandals, the whole thing. I'm going to walk clothed in Jesus. So don't leave here tonight without letting one of these ladies pray for you. In fact, if you have a prayer need of any kind, if you have sickness in your body, if you have uh, a failing marriage, if you have some financial issue, if you just need wisdom, you're going through something and you need someone to pray with you, you, you have a big decision coming up and you want someone to agree with you, don't leave here today with a burden. Make an exchange at the altar. Let one of these ladies pray with you. Leave it here. Go home lighter. Go home clothed in the best clothes that money can buy. Don't leave here burdened. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would draw every person with any need to come and receive from you and your unlimited resources. In Jesus' name, amen.